Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenori. We got a, we got a big show for you tonight. Um, I'll, I'll run that down in a second. But first, Paul, how's it going, man? How are you doing this evening? I'm feeling feisty, Sam. I mean, like, I'm glad that you pumped the show up from the jump because <laughs> I'm ready to go today, man. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> All right. That's what I like to hear. You know, last week you were a little sleepy. I had to text you while we were taping and say, you texted like, me. You, you told me you, that you you're sleepy. Right now? Yeah, you, you gave me a hard time. It's good. You motivated me. You fired me up. You woke me up. So tonight, you know, I had a drink. I hung out with my wife. I And then Uh-oh. I came inside and I started reading Twitter and Reddit to just get myself angry about some stuff. <laughs> and now I'm ready to go, man. I'm angry. I'm feisty. <laughs> and I want to fight. I want to debate. So we're ready to rock. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So first things first, I'll, let's do a little quick rundown here. MLS's back is over. The Portland Timbers are champions. They defeated Orlando City in the final on Tuesday evening. I think pretty safe to say deserves champions. Sebastian Blanco, tournament MVP. Vindication for me. Uh, failure once again for you, Paul. You know, you can say that, but it doesn't prove anything. Like I did. It doesn't really matter. And and really, the more important thing to be right about, we'll talk about later in the show, where I was right and you were wrong. And then it's, it's the more important thing, which is... Okay, that's, that's, a, nice, that's a nice from a segue. Tweeting. Well... You know, we're going to go into Matuidi nice in the show. Go ahead. I'll let you. You're the host here. We Let's are. Go. So we we are going to talk about Inter-Miami signing Blaze Matuidi. This is a very allocation disorder friendly topic. So we're going to dive into that signing and the fact that he's not a designated player and he is a targeted allocation money signing. Um, and who told you that? We're going to talk a little bit about how that fits into the broader scheme. Who told me that? Um, sources, you guessed correctly, I, I should oh, add. So I just wanted right, to make Paul, sure. But, you know. Like as long as we're out here taking credit and bragging, I was the one that broke that news. So you know, I'll just <laughs> I'll brag about myself. A- anyway, we're we're gonna, we're going to talk about that signing. We're going to talk about how it fits into kind of the overall scheme of MLS and its objectives and its roster rules and what it says about all of that. And we're going to talk a little bit about Reggie Cannon and Dallas and Nashville and their demonstration they're kneeling during the national anthem for their game on wednesday night and how it was uh responded to um by some of the fans that were allowed in that game in frisco and what reggie cannon had to say after the match so we'll talk a little bit about that as well but first blaze matweedy 2018 world cup champion france international longtime psg midfielder last three seasons with juventus in italy uh, an incredible player, 33 years old, came out a little earlier this week that Juve were going to release him or terminate or buy him out from his contract, and he was going to be a free agent, and he was going to sign with Inter Miami. This kind of came out of nowhere. They've been, a, a, you know, the, the club's been linked to all manner of big names, but they've mostly been attacking players, Willian, Cavani, Luis Suarez, etc., just among a few a few of the names that they've been linked to. Um, Matuidi plays a little bit further back on the field than pretty much all of those names. Um, and when that news came out, everyone assumed he would be, not everyone, Paul, not Paul Tenorio. Sorry, That's Paul. That's right. Let me get That's out right. of that. Most people, myself included, assumed he would be a designated player just on wages alone, even though there wasn't going to be a transfer fee because we knew Juve was, was buying him out, terminating his deal, and he'd be a free agent. You know, he made three and a half million euros after taxes last season in Italy. Um, he probably would have made it, I would guess, about at least that much this coming season. Um, that's over four million U.S. dollars, again, after taxes. Uh, the TAM threshold is 1.61 million, I believe, uh, for this season. So, you know, before he's taxes. taking a big pay cut to before taxes, yes. So he's taking a big pay cut to come to MLS, although Florida, you know, is no state in- income tax, so at least he's got that going for him. Um, so he's taking a big cut to come to MLS. That's not normally not how this works. And there was a big debate around, is Matuidi worth that last DP spot if you're Miami, which is a crazy thing to discuss. This guy's a very good player. He started over 30 games in all competitions for Juventus last season team that won Serie A, um, you know, disappointing run for them in the Champions League that that it ended in the in, in, when it did here just just a few days ago. 
Um, but still, an incredible team and an excellent player who was key to France's World Cup win just two summers ago. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to be a good player in MLS as long as he stays healthy. Um, probably one of the best in the league from the moment he arrives. Uh, so there's no doubt on that part. But this club needs a, a someone who can score goals. And so the thinking, which was my thinking, was all right. If you're gonna if you're allocating your resources, go ahead and get that striker because they're more expensive than a than a decent number eight. You can find one of those on a TAM deal. But a big-name striker who's going to score you 15 to 20 every single season or maybe even more, that's going to cost you millions of dollars. And you can't go and get that on a TAM deal necessarily. Um, Miami doesn't have to. They have a DP spot still because Matuidi's a TAM, TAM player. I'm not so sure how that happened. It doesn't quite pass the sniff test for me. I imagine that there are some financial shenanigans going on here, Paul. Um, but congrats to David Beckham and Paul McDonough. And all the folks down there in South Florida for getting this over the line because Matuidi as a TAM player is about as slam dunk as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few things that we should talk about here when we talk about this deal. And that's what this show is all about, which is, one, as you alluded to, the ridiculousness of judging whether or not this is a good signing at all, right? Like, if you can get Matuidi into your roster in Major League Soccer, you do it, right? Like, the only reason it's considered absurd is because MLS needlessly restricts the roster and the spending that teams are able to do. You know, we know that Miami would go out and sign four or five or six more guys at a million and a half, two million, three million dollars if they were allowed to, but they're not because MLS decided that it's better for the league that Dallas and Houston and teams that don't spend a cent are able to say that they have a chance to win a title in their mind than it is for Miami and Atlanta and LAFC and NYCFC and Toronto to go out and spend money and be able to say these are the best possible teams that we can put on the field. We'll get to that in a second. I do think it's worth talking about how a deal like this is possible. And I'm hoping eventually to be able to do a story about this and and try to learn about what's going on. I'm working on trying to be able to report that out. But I think we can look at how past deals were done and kind of guess at how something like this could be structured. The first place to look right. is the fact that Matuidi was coming out of contract next year, which means Juve wanted to move on from some of these older players. They've said that as Pirlo comes in, he wants to go with the younger team. So they want to move some of these salaries off of their books. And the way to do that is to terminate contracts, allow them to move on free transfers. But... When a player like Matuidi, who's 33 years old, wants to move to a team that's not going to pay him as much money, and he has a contract that's going to pay him something around the six, seven, eight million dollar gross number that'll get him down to around four million net, he's not just going to walk away from that for free in order to be able to play somewhere else, right? Like, that's not how contracts work. And so, likely, there was some kind of buyout here from Juve. Usually, you'll spend a percentage of the guaranteed money to move him off the books. And that way you save 25% or 30% or whatever it may be off of your salary cap, right? Not your cap, but your books, what what your budget is for that year. And so the first place to start is the idea that Matuidi probably is making X dollars in the coming season paid for by Juve. And the rest is made up by Miami paying him, you know, 1.61 million gross, right? Which will probably end up a little bit over a million net. I don't want to go into all the taxes of it now, but somewhere in that range, right? Not a ton of Are you a CPA these days? Are you moonlighting? Not at all. And and I'm sure a CPA will be in our mentions (laughs) on Twitter being like, actually, it's less than a million. I don't know what it is. It's less than 1.6 after taxes, right? But that's that's how much weed he's whole, right? By the end of it, he's whole because... He's still making money from Juve as part of this buyout. Where the questions start to come in is what happens next year and the year after that, right? Where does that money start to come into play? And the and I think the the first place I start is by saying we know that markets like Miami and LA have been capable of signing players to lesser numbers than they would take elsewhere because they want to live in the US and they want to live in those markets. I think the best example in Major League Soccer is Ashley Cole. Signed for the Galaxy for like $300,000 a year, okay? This is a guy who was the best left back in the world for a number of years. 
And so there is precedent. Not when he signed that. with the Galaxy. Not though. when he signed with the Galaxy. But he but Matuidi is there not are better one of the best number eights in team. the world. I mean, Zlatan is is and is not, right? That that we'll get to that next part, which is sometimes deals are structured in a way that a player is making up for his salary by getting sponsorships or there's something like what I think was against MLS rules, just to be blunt. The fact that Zlatan signed with the Galaxy for TAM money and then was given stock, given ownership of 25% or whatever of a team in Sweden, to me, is a gross... So it's actually 50% of Sweden of the Swedish branch of AEG, which owns Hammerby. So he's a minority shareholder in that club, um, but 50% owner in Swedish AEG, which AEG, of course, owns the LA Galaxy. Yeah, to me, that is a it's a gross violation of rules, right? Like, it's very blatant. But we knew that, right? Like, it was, like, very much, like, on the table. But it's not, though. It's not. It is. It is. Like, that should be counted into your cap the same way. No, but it's the same way as, like, giving uh, an apartment or a car. If you do those things, then you will if you do those things that they count against the cap, right? Like we, but, but this is, these are the things that MLS owners do, right. To get around these stupid rules that the league has grown past. And it's ridiculous, right? Like it's ridiculous. We can go down like the list of rumors and we probably shouldn't because we're pretty good reporters who, when we report stuff, like we have multiple sources, we don't just throw stuff out there. But we've all heard stories of the way MLS owners have gotten around the salary cap before. And we're, we, I'm not going to say them on the show, but like there are multiple examples. I mean, I'll from say, multiple I'll say teams. one right now. Go ahead. I'll say one right now. And this is like, I know this for a fact. Like when Landon Donovan, after he had retired and he was thinking about coming back and he ended up coming back with the Galaxy, before that, he was talking to Real Salt Lake. And one of the things that was in play for him as part of that deal was a house in Park City, Utah. Like, you know, like these things happen. Right. And that goes into a larger discussion. And, and sorry for stepping on your toes here, because I know this is where you were going to end up, Paul. But if if the rules are going to be able to be finagled around by these big clubs, why have them in the first place? Yeah, I mean, there's no re- the, the reason is to because the people making the rules ultimately are the ones who don't want to spend money. That's why that's why they exist. Because they right. want to make it as hard as possible for 100%. the teams who and, want to spend and, and more. MLS, Go ahead. Yeah. MLS calls it parody, right? And it's like parody is a real thing. And I'm not against that. I actually think it makes for a compelling league in many, many different ways. And I've I've written a piece about this that should run on Friday. So probably by the time this, this podcast is out, it'll be up on The Athletic. But the the scales are tipped too far in the, in the favor of teams who are not ambitious enough for this league to get where it wants to go just straight up you know the the rules are designed to limit spending right minimize costs for the lower the lower ambition owners and still allow them to compete but that limits the clubs like miami or the la teams or toronto or atlanta to name those are probably the big five i would argue um that limits them from being kind of all that they could be right and those are the teams that are pushing the league forward and MLS isn't letting them push the league forward as much as they could. And that's by design. That's not a bug. That's a feature. And to me, that's MLS past that. They don't need as much parity as they have. Go ahead and open it up. Let the big clubs be big clubs. Let them drive the league forward. Let them raise the ceiling. If you're MLS, you're getting the same results you got 10 years ago in terms of fan interests. There's new markets, right? And there are fans that are engaged in those markets. Atlanta being the prime example there. LAFC, not a new market, but a, but a new club in an existing market that has you know, got a good fan base. Those people aren't watching national TV games. We saw that at the MLS's back tournament and the ratings that they got there. And <laughs> at a certain point, if you're the league, you're banging your head against the wall. You're doing the same things over and over and over again, and you're getting the same results. Are you ever going to change your behavior? And I know revenues don't necessarily support it if you're Colorado, if you're Houston, if you're Dallas, if you're even if you're Kansas City, right? A team that has run well and has had success, 
but maybe doesn't have that 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 market that drives that kind of revenue. Um, but at a certain point, if you're MLS, you're going to have to let the big clubs who can and who have changed the ceiling and driven this league forward, you're going to have to let them th- do it more. You know, you're going to have to let them give them more freedom. And for the rest of the league, that will be a little bit painful for sure, right? It's going to make it harder, and it's going to make it uh, you're, it's going to make make every owner have a choice, right? They can either spend more and try and keep up. And that spending will not be justified at first by revenue, right? So that's that'll be difficult to swallow. Or they can fall further behind, or they can get out, right? Or they can try and find a different model that, that works for them, maybe involving an academy, whatever. Um, but if you're MLS, with the TV deal coming up, with the World Cup coming up, those things aren't that far away. You need to get more fans for the league if you're going to really be one of these leagues of choice, like you say you want to be. You got to let the big boys be big boys. Take the training wheels off. Let them go do their thing. You can still maintain a level of parity. I'm not saying eliminate that entirely, um, but give them more freedom. I think it'll be better for the league as a whole. And I think this, this Matuidi situation is is kind of illustrative of all that, and it's in several different ways. Well, I think there's a couple places to hit there, Sam. Like, First of all, we can point to Atlanta and LAFC as examples of moving the league forward, and they, they have, and they do, right? Like, they are operating within the rules of MLS, you know? And so a huge chunk of responsibility for the growth of MLS falls on owners who, even within the ridiculous constraints of Major League Soccer, refuse to spend to the max, right? Refuse to take full advantage of those constraints. And so when you point to owners like the Hunts in Dallas or... uh, or you look at Houston, San Jose, Stan Kroenke, Houston, Stan Kroenke in Red Colorado, Bull. Red Bull. Um, I mean, we can go down the list, right? There are owners everywhere. I mean, it's, it's at least who, half the league. It's at yeah, least the, half the league. They're operating at a percentage of the possibility within a highly restricted salary cap environment, right? And so we can look at Atlanta and say that can be replicated. That can be replicated in Houston. It can be replicated in Dallas. It can be replicated in Orlando. It can, right? It can. And even if you don't have Arthur Blank money, at the minimum, you can compete at the level of the Portland Timbers, right? Who are a mid-level spender, who they're maxing out the amount that they can spend, and they don't let, – let's be clear here. I mean, I don't think that the Timbers are sitting here rooting for the roof to come off of the spend, right? Like they want Atlanta to be limited. They want LAFC to be limited. They want Toronto to be limited, right? They can't compete with Arthur Blank money. But within the constraints of MLS, they can and they do. And there are so many teams that don't. So we'll start there, right? This is, this is a problem that is an ownership problem. In that there are owners in this league who are content to sit and do the minimum required to be competitive every once in a while and watch their franchise values go up. And that's right. the reality it's of the this rational, It's the rational thing, Paul. Right? Sure. Why would you spend money? Because Why would you try? You're owning right? a, if you're, you're owning a team like, and these are toys. They're not investments. And even if they are investments, they've made their money. All of these owners. But they're have. the least favorite toy. That's the thing, right? That's the thing we don't talk about. Stan Kroenke owns how many teams? Arsenal, LA Rams, uh, Nuggets, Avalanche, and then the Rapids, right? Which one do you think he cares about the most? Which one do you think he cares about the least? I'm guessing the Rapids are near the bottom of that hierarchy, right? Same thing with the Crafts. They care more about the Patriots than the Revolution. I can't blame them, right? That's their thing. I can't blame them for that. Um, and if you look at it, why would you not try and minimize costs? You know, try and compete every few years, make the playoffs if you can, maybe make a run in the postseason. And meanwhile, your franchise value over the last 10 years has gone through the roof, through the roof. You don't have to do anything. Look at Andrew Hauptman, former Chicago Fire owner, bought the team, I think, in 2007 for around $35 million. did not build the training facility, did not build a stadium. The team was terrible atrophied from one of the top clubs in MLS to one of the worst in terms of on-field results. Uh, He did not pay 
to get them out of Soldier to get them out of Toyota Park, out of Bridgeview, SeatGeek Stadium, whatever it was called at the end, and into Soldier Field. That was Joe Mansueto, who bought forty nine percent of the team and then the remaining fifty one percent of the team for what? Around three hundred million? Is that right? I think it was three hundred fifty. So even million. if you say that Andrew Hauptman it was three hundred and fifty? All right. So even if you say Andrew Hauptman, over his twelve years of owning that team, lost ten million dollars a year, which is probably on the high side. He didn't right? lose ten million. I'm being either. safe. Yeah. I'm being very safe with that estimate. That would be the absolute max. So he lost $120 million total over those 12 years, say, plus the $35 million that he bought the team for or thereabouts. You're talking about $155 million. And he, did you say he sold for 350 total in those two installments with Mansueto? Yeah, I believe it's somewhere there. I'll, I'll check as you talk. All right. So he made $150 to $200 million without building any infrastructure and by fielding an awful team. Why would anyone behave differently? Just be the only reason is because you want to win. It's personal pride, right? That's the only reason. Because if you're talking about an investment strategy, particularly for those guys who got in in the mid 2000s and before, not even the mid 2000s, the the early early teens, early tens. I don't know what they're called. Whatever. Um, you shouldn't do anything differently because your investment has gone through the roof. You got into the perfect time. So the only reason you would change is is personal pride. That's it. Um, but. If you're Stan Kroenke, you don't need your ego stroked by the Colorado Rapids. Same thing by the Hunts in Dallas and the Crafts with the Revs, right? They have other things to do that for them. So it's rational. I can't say I like it. I think it's bad for the game. But I like it's. I can't like say you're stupid, right? Because it makes total sense from f- when you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I get that. Here's where it falls apart. And this is where we have to move from the idea of it being owner-driven. Right? It is owner-driven, right? The, the idea that these owners are spending the least that they can to maximize their profits. But where this starts to turn and where we really have to examine the problem is in which owners are making the decisions. Because when we look at the investment of money on the table, I mean, you're talking about Andrew Hauptman, $35 million that he bought, and we can speculate on losing $10 million a year or not, right? Like, this is, and by the way, the Mansueto purchase was $321.6 million, so close, you know, between three hundred and three hundred fifty million. and $350 million. When we're talking about money on the table, right, Joe Mansueto is a good example of this. He spends $321 million to buy the fire and another $65 million over the next two decades to get them out of Bridgeview. So you're talking about almost $400 million in investment. Let's call it four hundred dollars with the rent he's going to have to pay at Soldier Field without talking about Ross. There's no free riding. Without talking about – There's no free riding going on. He's got skin in the game. 100%. You look at at the the $325 million paid in Charlotte as an expansion fee – talking about the hundreds of millions of dollars paid by Minnesota, paid by Miami, paid by LASC, paid by Atlanta. These guys have legitimate money on the table, and they're not seeing that investment back for a while. And yet, they have the least amount of power when it comes to decision-making, especially in regards to on-field strategy and roster spend, right? Product strategy is driven by Clark and Dan Hunt, the Hunt family in Dallas, and Greg Kerfoot in Vancouver, and other owners, and like this is you know that are not big spenders. How far are you going here? I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm I'm holding myself back here, Sam. I'm holding myself, and don't <laughs> don't push me because I'll go further and I shouldn't. Bite your tongue. I, <laughs> and and so we have to think about that right and we have to think about the reasons why why would that be allowed and why is that you know why is that the case in mls and eventually that balance of power has to swing and what's interesting is that it hasn't happened so far right it hasn't happened so far and i find that fascinating because of the amount of money and the amount of influence that that Arthur Blank can can have in this league and that Larry Berg and LAFC can have in this league and yet don't. And I think it needs to change, and I think eventually it will change. 
But the question is, what will drive that change? And, I, and you know, I had an interesting conversation during the time of COVID with somebody in MLS who was saying, like, oh, like, you know, people are losing a ton of money. And, like, how is that fair? And, like, what if, you know, Adrian Hanauer has to sell? Because he's losing too much money and he's not Arthur Blank and he can't absorb those losses. Like, is that fair to him? And my answer is, you know, it might not be fair, but, like, if he can't afford it, then yes. Unfortunately, sadly, he has to sell to somebody who can, right? Just like Andrew Houtman was getting priced out of MLS and had to sell to somebody who would be willing to spend the amount of money necessary to grow with the league. That is part of what happens in an evolution. And that is where MLS is in its evolution at this point, right? The owners who aren't willing to spend need to get out. And if they don't get out, Sam, this is the other element that needs to change. The rules around academies and the rules around selling need to change. If you are the Philadelphia Union and you are committed to being an academy-driven team that's going to sell, you need to be incentivized to do so and to really fully commit to that idea. Do you you think they're not? I think they are, but the rule prevents them. The rule prevents them. I think you need to sell. I think you need to take off the limits of how much of a sale price can be put back into the first team roster. I think you need to eliminate homegrown territories. And by doing so, because if you look at the rest of the world, if you are a selling team, the reason you are a selling team is because you don't have the revenues that the big money teams have, right? You are not Manchester City. And the way that you have money to invest in your team is not through the personal wealth of your owner. It's through the revenue you drive by developing and selling players. Well, in MLS, you're limited, right? You're limited with how much of those sales you can actually put back into your first team. And part of the reason you're limited is not just how much money gets converted to GAM. It's because you only have three DPs, right? And so you can only you can invest all of the sale money into a DP, but you only have three DPs. So let's say the union commit fully to being this selling team, to being Ajax. And let's say they start to produce Brendan Aronson's and Mark McKenzie's constantly, right? And they sell Mark McKenzie for $2 million, or let's even say $3 million. And they sell Brendan Aronson for $6 million. That's $9 million. So let's average it on two players. It's $4.5 million. So for every two players they produce, it's $4.5 million per player. And, you know, let's say they, they all of a sudden start to sell four or five players a window. So you're talking about $18 million. Four or five a window. Or sorry, a year. It's the best a selling year. team in the world. A year, right? <laughs> like let's say, or every couple years, right? That's, st- that's still Either way, lot. you're talking about <laughs> between nine and $20 million. And that's not really that much, right? Nine and $20 million of, of selling of, of, of money going in, coming in and players going out. And then, all of a sudden, unless you look at that money and you're like, oh, well, you can't really use that anywhere, right? You can use out of, let, let's say you sell these two except players. A, except on a DP. You can, you can use it on a DP. But not, a, okay, so if you, great. So you can, you can use it on one player or two players, you know, if you already have a DP, which they do in Ala Badoya, yeah. right? So you're limited in how you can use that revenue. And those are the problems that have to work their way out. MLS is working so hard to create parity, so hard to make themselves different than the rest of the world, so hard to protect owners from themselves that they're actually keeping this league from moving forward, not just on the top end, but on the bottom end, right? On the the, the owners that have a model that works in the rest of the world that allows lower spending teams to compete in the rest of the world well i wouldn't say that lower spending teams really can compete in the rest of the world i would disagree with that last part um but it's you don't have to go all the way within mls there are a lot of exit ramps between yeah there are a lot of like a playoff structure on its own leads to parity even if you don't have a salary cap like a one-off single elimination playoff tournament that leads to parity and randomness by itself um, but you said it towards the end of, of what you were talking about. The rest of the world does it a certain way. 
MLS is trying to reinvent the wheel, and the myopia there is astonishing. It's like it works a certain way in the rest of the world, and that way is if you want to get better, you have to spend more money. It's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. If you want to get better, you have to spend more money. And I think MLS is at the point now where if they want to get more fans, they have to get better, right? I think that's pretty clear at this point. Um, and yet we have a league because of all of those reasons you mentioned out and mentioned and, and which owners kind of have the power and the influence and, and what their level of spend and ambition is. Instead of saying, okay, well, let me back up a second, Paul. Are you ready for an extended citrus analogy? <laughs> I always squeeze the juice out of that orange. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's where I'm going with this. So they have an orange, right? And it's a fine orange, pretty good orange, right? But they've changed this orange so many times over the years, and they've tried to squeeze everything they can out of it. And that orange is dried up, man. It's dried up. And they're still basically trying to squeeze everything they can out of it. But if they really want the league to grow, then you just need to go out and buy a new orange. Like, that's the point they're at right now. you got to go buy a new orange. And they're they haven't seemed to be willing to do that. Yes, there have been spending increases. Yes, TAM is a thing. Yes, the cap has gone up. But it's all marginal, right? And if you look at how the rest of the world is increased in spending, you know, I don't know the numbers for a fact, but the way the, the transfer market has gone up all around the world over the last 5, 10 years, has MLS kept pace with that? I would say at best, MLS's rate of spending has increased at the same level as other places around the world. And if I had to guess, I would say it's probably increased less. Definitely so you're not even less. really treading water. Definitely right? less. You're, you're, falling, you're falling behind. You're not even treading water. You're falling behind. And I don't think that the league owners understand that. They see themselves as spending more money. Oh, we're getting better. Well, yeah, maybe you can attract a few bigger name players. Maybe you can attract a few better stars. But this is a competition. You're not competing against the NHL or the NBA or MLB or the NFL for how good of a soccer league you are, right? You're competing against other soccer leagues in Mexico, in Argentina, in Brazil, in England, in Spain, Italy, elsewhere, right? And if they're spending at a higher rate, or if they're increasing spending at a higher rate than you are, well, then you're going to fall behind. It's it, it's pretty basic at the end of the day, right? And, and, if you want to become a better league, if you want to be this league of choice by 2026, which was initially 2022, but then they pushed that back, Right. Uh, you're going to have to spend more money than you are right now. And you're going to have to give teams the freedom to spend that money how they want to, right? So you can say, okay, you have $30 million to spend. You go do that however the hell you want, right? Right now, that's not how it works, right? You have teams that are spending enough to be at a good level, but the way that spend is structured isn't efficient. And that comes down to DPs, and that comes down to TAM, and all of those other things that we can talk about. Uh, for years and years but the big picture is it's it's simple just get with the program the rest of the world's on you're not going to reinvent this wheel hey this is producer daryl cutting in to calm things down and let you know that today's show is sponsored by artifact here's what artifact does artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Kind of like a podcast episode, but it's about whatever you want. With Artifact, you can capture family history with parents and grandparents. You can talk about friends and family as a birthday, wedding or anniversary gift, um, about how they've made a difference in your life or just sharing some hilarious stories. We actually commissioned an Artifact for the Total Soccer show. So Taylor and I sat down and George Qureshi, one of the fine interviewers at Artifact, interviewed us all about how Total Soccer Show got started and what's happened in the decade of producing that podcast. And then George and the team at Artifact edited it together, made it sound absolutely beautiful. Within just a few days, they sent us back the final product. And if you want to hear it, you can go to heyartifact.com slash TSS. The TSS is lowercase. When you're ready to make an artifact of your own, use code TSS uppercase, capital letters TSS, and you'll get $40 off your first one. So it's heyartifact.com and then use the code TSS uppercase for $40 off. Okay, I'm going to send you back to Paul and Sam. 
Well, Sam, I mean, even if you wanted to slightly tweak it, right? Like, even if you wanted to be a cap capped league, that's fine. Yeah, or luxury but, tax, but whatever. The cap you can do is that. Stuff. So yeah. low. The cap is so low, and when you include the all of the different rules, it essentially eliminates the purpose of the cap in general because you're still unbalanced, right? And how you're spending your money. And I think a really important point when we talk about MLS strategy and MLS growth and the idea of incremental growth and pace of growth is talking again about how much the market has changed, man. Like when you talk about that juice being gone and this orange being dry, like if I'm a soccer consumer, where where I was 10 years ago, the options I had to Why go look for the game. Why would you ever watch MLS? Right? Like the, the options I had are so significantly different than the options I have today. I can turn on NBC on a Saturday morning and watch a production that is better than MLS production, right? That with players who are better than MLS players, with stories that are told on a major network better than the stories that are told on your major network, right? Everything I can get out of the Premier League I get is better than what I get with MLS. Bundesliga, no one's going to claim that Fox put everything they could have into the Bundesliga coverage. I'm still getting a better soccer product than I'm getting with MLS on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Saturday night. don't have is in stadium. Let's move to Saturday night. Liga MX spends significantly more money on their rosters than Major League Soccer. The product on the field is more entertaining than Major League Soccer. If I want to watch better soccer... If I'm a true soccer fan, I can turn on Liga MX. And guess what? The numbers show that that's happening because there are more established fans. It's the most popular league in this country. And and I get that a lot of that is Mexican immigrants in this country who want a bit of home and have access to those games. But guess what? That is your competition, man. Those are the people you want. And... I read the marketing report. I, Pablo and I wrote a story about it. And they're saying, oh, the diehard football fans, they don't make up a huge percentage of the people that you're worried about. You know, I, I think maybe that's true. But there's a whole new generation of fans growing up right now. Right now. And you have a chance to win them over. And instead, they're going to say, no, I'm not going to watch MLS. It's not as good. You can't operate as if the market is the same today as it was 10 and 15 years ago when you created these rules. David Beckham came to MLS in what, 2009, 2007? Somewhere in that? Seven. Seven. 2007. 13 years ago, the DP rule came in to effect, okay? 13 years ago. And we're talking about DP rules pretty much the same way we were then, right? There are more DPs now. We can... To find a little, but twelve and a half percent of the salary budget, one per team. Same yeah. thing, right? The idea of TAM mm-hmm. came in when I first started covering the league in 2015. Five years later, TAM is still a thing, right? There's more of it, and there's not that much more now that they got rid of mandatory TAM. But there's more of it. But the idea is the same, and the the inefficiencies of it are the same, and so. Again, going back to this Matuidi thing, here we have an ownership and group in Miami who has the capability to spend a ton of money, wants to spend a ton of money, is struggling partly because they have to be so perfect with what they do on this last DP spot that they're being, I think, probably overthinking what they're doing with this spot. And... Here we have to talk about what hoops they have to jump through to get Matuidi. I had to write, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have to, but I wrote a column about Giovanni <laughs> Dos Santos and the drama of the, th- oh, the third God. DP spot in LA a few years ago because the Galaxy actually had to cut one of their best players in order to fit in one of their best players. Like, where is the efficiency? <laughs> And having Giovanni Dos Santos leave MLS to go to America, right? What 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 did that yeah. do for MLS? How good how is things? that good for the league? Was that well, good? It, it it makes it e- it makes it easier 
for you know the Vancouver Whitecaps to compete with the LA Galaxy. That's how it's good for MLS. And, and that's good I'm for MLS. For parody, it's but, not, though. It's not good for but, MLS. But, Let's be no, real. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. That trade-off is terrible. It's terrible. And straight up, it's terrible. And I do want to address one big thing. And this is kind of the elephant in the room, and I've mentioned it a few times. And if I don't talk about it at length, I'm going to have friends and colleagues texting me saying, Sam, you're an idiot. How can you just call for these guys to spend more money when revenue doesn't justify it? And and that's fair, honestly. You know, these people are very wealthy and they could sustain losses if they want to, but that doesn't mean they need to or that doesn't mean they should, right? Um, at least not on roster spending, anyway. Um, what I would say is that if MLS wants to be the league that it says repeatedly that it wants to be one of the best leagues in the world in five to ten years, according to Larry Berg, LAFC owner, a league of choice by 2026, according to Don Garber, MLS commissioner, all of these things, right? If you want to be like that, you're going to have to start spending money in a way that is not justified by revenue. You're going to have to start spending money, not just to make money, like the old cliche, right? But you're going to have to start spending money to make this a league of choice, to make this a better league, to make it a higher quality product. And it's going to have to it's not going to be congruent with revenue, not at first anyway. And maybe eventually it catches up. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that for a second, Sam. Right. Like we both got frustrated. Like I wish we could we should like create a WhatsApp group chat for like allocation disorder listeners to understand some of what we we say to each other. That's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. You take, like, edit that out. Let, let's just, let's just, <laughs> I mean, like Don Garber goes on air the other day and says during this ESPN interview that the ownership groups and MLS have always been very aggressive in transfer markets. Like I made a noise. That's, I made a noise when I heard that. It's I'm, not I was true. Like, Come on. It is not. It's not at all. True. And the idea that you would say that to try to sell something like you're lying and it's, it's, it's not true. The, the vast majority of teams in this league are not aggressive in the transfer market. And there are like, there are like five or six that are aggressive, maybe it, like eight if you're being generous. Right. And you have to acknowledge that, right? Like, like to your point, man, like if you're part of your identity is parody, a big part, and part of your identity is not maybe, maybe overspending, right? And definitely the biggest. And and part of your identity is not overspending and going beyond your means and avoid being the next NASL of the 70s and 80s and blah, 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 right? Everything that. we've been told as justification, oh, we, we don't want to spend when we're not making the money to justify the spending and the chicken and the egg, right? Like, if we keep continuing on this incremental growth, then eventually the revenue will justify higher spending and each CBA will go up, you know, 9% in salary cap spend and, and the world will be great. Awesome. Then don't go on air and say that you're aggressive in the transfer market because you are not. Yeah. There is yep. no evidence that this league is aggressive as a league. We can talk about Atlanta being aggressive and, and it doesn't always work out, right? Everyone wants to hammer them for Pithy and Barco. You know why I don't? Because they went for it, man. They spent real money. And sometimes you spend real money and it doesn't work out, but at least they went for it, right? LAFC, they've gone for it, right? Toronto, credit to them. They went a different path. They won some titles going that path, right? I mean, credit to them. Miami, they have shot the moon this year. It has not worked out as an expansion year, and... And you can criticize who they've actually <laughs> signed, right? But they're going for it, man. They went for it on their coaches. They've really, they've really not looked, afraid to splash the cash. They've looked for it on their DPS, you know, and and they went and spent real money on Pizarro, man. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't nothing money. So there are a few teams that you can point to, but let's go down the rest of the standings, right? Like, are we going to be real and tell you're going to tell me that? That San Jose is going for it. Houston, Dallas, Kansas City, New England, Red Bull, Montreal, DC United. You're offending me. Let you know Nashville, Cincinnati, Columbus. They're going for it. Really? Damn, dude. I mean, Cincinnati of that bunch is going for it way more than most. Are Shoot. they? You know, like 
I mean, Sam, look, I can go and like leak a to a journalist that I'm talking to somebody. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm talking to Gota. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not talking about Gota, but like I, like I, I think they were about ready to buy Locadia had this pandemic not happened, and that would have been a ten million dollar signing. Like, and, and I'm not saying they're going for it, but in that group, they're going for it more than most are. I mean, and do it multiple in times, itself. man. Do it multiple times. Like this yeah, is my problem. It's like well, don't I mean, sell to yourself. Be fair, they, they haven't been around a long time. Sam, but, but yeah, don't sell yourself as this aggressive league, and don't tell me you're trying to be a league of choice and one of the best you. leagues in the world in five, six years. Don't tell me that. Don't lie to my face. But here's the thing: this is why we get angry about it. This is why I was so pumped for this episode, and why I was ready to just like go on these rants is because we cover this league for a reason, you know, not just because we're insane, like which we are clearly, but like this league has made me insane. We see what it is capable of being. Am I wrong? Like, you look at Atlanta. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, like, we both love soccer. We both grew up playing. Like, we both grew up with, with kind of the same attitude, right? Like, you're begging your parents to buy Satanta Sports so you can watch <laughs> Fulham because they have six Americans, right? Like, it wasn't like this when we were kids. And now it's way different. And America can be a real soccer country if MLS takes it there, right? MLS has to do it. Like, that has to be the vehicle. And it's not doing that right now. And the way it's set up is not set up to do that under the current system. The system would have to change for it for it to happen. And, you know, like, and this is before any pro-rel talk. You can do it without pro-rel. You can Right, you can make it a real soccer country and a real league and do a, a lot of these things, but you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And like that's why we're so passionate about this because we both want to see that, yep. right? Just for our own selfish and, and, personal reasons. And we it's both also like see that. we see it on so many levels, Sam. Right? It's not just about how much money they spend. Again, I'll go back to homegrown territories. You look at discovery rights, allocation order. I mean, so many things are built into this system to prevent competition, real competition from happening, an open market yes. from happening. And that is by design. Like you said, this is not a glitch. This is done by design to artificially tamp down the price of players, to artificially tamp down the price of an, the investment in academies, to artificially tamp down the amount of money that you're spending in the international market, even with with the other limitations that are already in place, right? That's why discovery exists. They don't want MLS teams competing against each other for players because technically the money is coming from the same place, right? It's all single entity. And so this entire system is done not for the betterment of this of, of American soccer, of growing the sport in this country, not for no. driving forward the quality of the league. It's to keep costs down and to eventually drive revenue up. The problem is uh, they're reaching this point, as you alluded to earlier with the orange, <laughs> that they <laughs> cannot do both anymore. You know, this league is outgrowing its structure. And I think we will see change in l the little things. Like, I do think we'll see change in homegrown territories, for example. Like, I got laughed at by a scout from a major European team when I explained to him that if you are born in Chicago, you can't go play for Red Bull without Red Bull paying Chicago. Not You, you don't have to play for Chicago's academy. You don't have to have anything to do with them. But because you were born somewhere in the United States that happens to have an MLS team in a 100-mile radius of you, you can't go play for another MLS team that you want to play for that might be a better fit for you or your family or whatever. Like, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous in everywhere else in the rest of the world. <laughs> but in MLS, it's like, it's normal. Yeah. And like, I've had some pretty heated debates mm -hmm. with GMs who you are like adamant. This is your hill that you it's got. My, it's this my is hill. your hill. <laughs> and, and, but like, this, this, it, because it's a great example of the idea of protecting a team in its market from outside competition, right? You yeah. don't, why introduce competition? Yeah. Why make them feel worried that they might lose a player from their city to another city, right? Why incentivize them 
to do more to make sure they don't lose those players. And that doesn't mean you're going to keep everyone. There will be players you lose for inadequate reasons. But it forces you to be better. It forces you to work to create yeah. more relationships. It forces you. And like that is the design of Major League Soccer in so much that they do, right? They don't want you to really do the work or really be good enough for it to matter, right? It's the New England Revolution getting paid for Sebastian Legette and his rights before he can sign with the Galaxy, despite never having talked to Sebastian Legette ever in the history of Sebastian Legette looking to come back to MLS or come to MLS, right? Why? Yeah. They, they saw a name of a guy abroad, they stuck it on their discovery list, and they got paid. Come on, man. Grow up. This league needs to grow up. <laughs> I love it. We're like so sports radio, this show. It's fantastic. Um, oh, my God. All of this stuff, man. It drives both of us insane. Um, and I'm glad we're talking about it. Because for too long, I think we've pussyfooted around all of these things. And I think you're right. It's an inflection point. MLS has been sitting on the proverbial pot for 25 years now. Um, and that is a bad case of constipation, my man. But, like, it's time they take a crap. What do like, we have to lose, time. Sam? And, they, and they've, they've they th- hate us. They hate us, right? The owners hate us. The league hates us. We're hurting them by covering them critically, <laughs> by by holding them accountable for their decisions, you know, by insinuating that their TV ratings aren't satisfactory, where we are anti-MLS, we bash this league, we have no... Not, we have we have we have it out against them, man. So let's let's just really lay it out there. You know what I mean? Like, come on, they we're already think we're anti MLS. Yeah. So let's just let's actually show them yeah. that right. we Fine. are invested. We can cross that bridge, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So let's push this forward a little bit. How does it change? How does this? How do you get over this hill? How do you get over this hump? Right? And you sort of mentioned it. Right? You have these teams that are new and that are trying to push the envelope. You have Atlanta, you have LAFC, you have Toronto, not so new. Um, you have, who am I forgetting? Miami. Um, Columbus's new owners. Charlotte. Right? We anticipate Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte, 100%, right? There are probably a few others that I'm not thinking of off of the top of my head. You could throw New York City FC into this group. I, I, and I think there are some right? owners who are there do to be there, to, right? Like, like I interviewed yeah. Steve Kaplan a few yeah. years ago. Steve Kaplan was very pro. Let's move the league forward. We'll see how he actually goes. But like he said, all the right things. Joe Mansueto in Chicago, right. maybe, I think, has definitely Mansueto indicated. Yeah. yeah. So there are the owners that are there, right? So I think you just need to get a critical mass, and it doesn't need to be of numbers necessarily of those owners. It needs to be a critical mass of influence and power. And right now they don't have it at all. You mentioned the product strategy committee earlier, and. Um, you know, we'll hopefully be talking more Bite about that tongue, in, in the weeks to come, but, <laughs> but little tease there, but the, that committee is the most important committee in MLS. They decide everything relating to on field and it's consisted, as you mentioned, it's chaired by Clark Hunt and Greg Kerfoot two of, I think it's fair to say the least ambitious, le- lowest spending owners in the entire league. Right. And Dallas has a good academy, and they're doing some good things there. So I don't want to discount that entirely. But they don't spend on their first team in a meaningful way, right? And the the rest of the, the rest of the group is, is Ferran Soriano, NYCFC sits on it. He's he's the head honcho of Man City, and he sits on this committee. Adrian Hanauer, Seattle Sounders owner. Merritt Paulson, Portland Timbers. Help me out here, Paul. Who am I missing? We have um, some not Chris Klein, LA Galaxy. Chris Klein from the LA Galaxy, and then you have a couple non-voting members, mm-hmm. right, from two of those clubs that I had just mentioned: Darren Eels, who's the president of Atlanta United, and Larry Berg, one of the owners of LAFC. So they sit in on these meetings, but they don't vote. Um, and until you can kind of change that committee, right, I think a lot of this stuff is going to stay the same. And I don't know how that committee is going to end up changing, right? And and who knows what these what these board meetings look like in terms of how these owners throw their weight around. Right. But until that committee flips towards the other side of this debate, I think it's going to be really hard to make any of the big leaps that we're talking about. And, and it's pretty simple changes. Right, Sam? I mean, we're talking about 
you know, increasing the amount of money each team can spend, uh, taking off the limitations of how they can spend that money, creating some minimums, some real enforceable minimums that aren't so such a low bar that it doesn't really matter. I think altering the idea of how to be an academy and selling team, right? And and creating an environment in which those lower spending teams can still drive revenue through a, a lower cost model and still be competitive. Like those are simple ways to change and to drive the league forward. And these aren't, we're not making these things up, right? They exist in the rest of the world. We're pushing, we're talking about pushing the league closer to the global model, but we're not even discussing like taking off a salary cap, right? We're just talking about increasing the cap. We're not even talking about um, going full no reins, right? We're just saying take off some of the restrictions that you have and how to spend the money. These aren't changes that would doom the league financially, but they are changes that would allow teams that have the money and want to spend it to do so and to potentially bring <laughs> more fans into I'm sorry. the orbit. Sorry for laughing. Can you guys hear Lyle? Can you hear Lyle in the background there, Paul? See, Lyle, Lyle gets fired up. <laughs> he about wants this, to be on you know? the show. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it just like, it, it's very simple stuff. I think we should leave it there, Sam, because we've talked about it for almost an hour. And you know what? Let's be real. This is this is something that I think both of us get very passionate about and that we're going to talk more and more about once we can start to really, you know, this podcast came about at a time when the league had a whole bunch of other stuff to deal with. And we haven't been able to go into as many of these kind of nitty gritty, big picture cap issues that that impact the league and spending issues. And I think that now that we're starting to get back into, I don't want to say we're getting back into normal rhythms, but certainly into places where we can talk about this more, that this is going to be a lot of what you hear on allocation disorder and, and probably to some degree, like, you know, a little bit repetitive in kind of saying, Hey, these are problems that are happening again to this week. And here's why they're happening. Right? Like, Hey, everyone was like, oh, Matuidi's a terrible signing because he's you can't use your last DP spot on a World Cup winner who was starting for the best club in Italy thing. last year. Only in and it was, you know, It's like ridiculous. It's insane. And it's like normal, right? It's totally normal. It's totally normal. And that's just yep. nuts. It's just nuts. Let's 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 pivot, well, Paul, Sam. Before we let's wrap talk up, let's talk you Black Lives Matter to, and, and you, Reggie. You wanted Cannon. to talk Yeah, you, you wanted to talk about Reggie Cannon. Um obviously Dallas and Nashville, they played on Wednesday night in front of fans, um, which is a key element to this story for a couple of reasons. Um first, why are they allowing fans? Like what what are you doing? It it's just like talking going back to my orange analogy and the juice not being worth the squeeze, like will it pr hopefully be safe? Will it hopefully be socially distanced and, and people stay within their own groups? Like, yeah, hopefully. And hopefully that'll work out totally fine. And I think it's reasonable to say that the odds are in favor of it working like that. But but the the downside, the potential downside to it, it it's just like, to me, it's not even close to worth the risk. But that's not what we want to talk about. Dallas and Nashville, who did not participate in MLS, is back um, because they were withdrawn due to COVID-19 outbreaks on their respective teams. They did like every other team in MLS back did throughout the course of the tournament, and they took a knee before the game. The difference for them is that the anthem was played at Toyota Stadium in Frisco because there were fans in attendance. And MLS rules say if there are fans at the game, um, then the anthem should be played. The anthem was not played at MLS's back. Um, now, uh, when they took the knee, there were some booze, and I don't know if it was a beer or some other beverage that was thrown onto the field um during that entire thing um kind of in protest by the fans um some ugly scenes um you know people will say oh everyone has a right to express their their opinion and their belief and sure yeah everyone does have that right um throwing a beer is not a, an opinion right so no one has that right and i think most listening would agree with that take um, but you know, when people are kneeling for an anthem and, you know, obviously this is a, that's a widespread thing at this point, but when people are kneeling for an anthem to protest for racial equality and social justice, and you're just against that, I understand that there is, you know, people feel a certain type of way about the flag, but this isn't a protest of the military. That's not what this is. 
Um, and to equate the two issues is disingenuous in my opinion. So anyway, uh, I'll throw it to you there, Paul, now that I maybe stole your thunder. But um, Reggie Cannon had a lot to say about it after the game. Well, first of all, good for Reggie Cannon. You know, it's not easy, I think, to go through something like that, to experience that, and then to play a game, right? And then to come out and talk about it and still say, you know, say what he said. I think it takes courage, and I think that it it takes um, a level of patience that not everyone has. Where I'm disappointed is in a few a few different places. First of all, no team, no professional sports team, no sports team in this country should be hosting fans right now. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. The numbers are worse than they've been since the beginning of the pandemic when MLS shut down. The idea that the, that the country has to move forward in some way, as Don Garber said in a teleconference with, with reporters, is, I think, um, ridiculous. We don't have to move forward from anything. We're living in this moment right now. Do you think I want to be in my condo every single day, you know, doing what feels like the same thing every single day, not being able to... to, to go on vacation or to see my family in Virginia or, you know, to interact with family the way I want to. No, I want a normal life. I want normalcy back. I'm hitting a frustration right now with like our current reality. So why do there need to be fans in the stands? What, what in the world would make you think that that's something that the country needs right now? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that there's that there's any justifiable reason to put fans into stands. And it's not about money. Okay, there's a couple thousand fans in the stands in Dallas. They're not making money on that or not anything substantial, even with the activations that happen having fans in stands. You're talking about thousands of dollars, you know, or even if you're talking about millions, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Okay, so we'll start there. Second of all, if you can't protect the fan, the, the players, if you can't, if you can't guarantee that, you know, why, why put the anthem on? The players don't want the anthem on. They recognize the moment. They recognize the, yeah, the Dallas and Nashville players. They don't want the anthem not to be played. Right. So why do you feel the anthem needs to be played? It's, it's because of PR, right? They don't want to take the PR hit of being the league that stops playing the anthem. So all of these places where this could be avoided, no fans in the stand, this is avoided. No anthem, this is avoided. And instead, we have this really important movement that's going on. When we talk about the Black Players for Change in MLS, we talk about Black Lives Matter around the country, right? And what they're trying to enact in this country, right? The change that that they're trying to drive, the you know, the education they're trying to impart onto people about what what really matters in this country, why things need to change, what um, Black Lives Matter is all about. And now we we have to devolve into this debate, right, in Dallas, Texas and Frisco, Texas, about kind of like this both sides argument when I look at the FC Dallas statement, right? Right. You know, Ugh, it, so it, weak, it, man. It, it's so weak. It's so frustrating. And I just, you know, I I wanted to say something about it because I think, again, we can go back to multiple decisions the league is making by allowing owners to to put fans in their stadium at a time when there shouldn't be fans in a stadium, right? By playing the anthem at a time when they're clearly not equipped to deal with what could happen by playing the anthem in the stadium during these protests. But most importantly, to draw attention back to Black Lives Matter, the Black Players for Change, the ideas behind these protests, right? Why people are getting down on a knee. And to, to remind people to go and read about it. Go and listen. You can, you can find it on The Athletic. Sam, you and I did a roundtable with the Black Players for Change. You can find it in your local newspaper, in magazines, in books. It's not that hard to find. And educate yourself as to what this is about. Because it's not about the flag. It's not about the anthem. 
It's not about disrespecting military. It's about systemic racism and the idea of everyone being treated equally, having equal opportunity, and society needing to change in order to allow black people to have the same opportunity that white people have and for brown people as well. And I just hope that 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 message doesn't get lost in all this. And it makes me sad that it's got the chance to again get lost in some kind of debate about an anthem or a flag. It just frustrates me. Yeah, I mean, it's been frustrating for four or five years now, right? Um, but no, I think that was pretty well said. And uh, I think it's fair to say that it was disappointing from FC Dallas, their response. Clark and Dan Hunt issued a separate follow-up statement after the initial statement when the club was, you know, it didn't even criticize the people that were throwing things onto the field um, at the players um, and said something like, we hope that FC Dallas will be leaders in this space. It's like, well, you are FC Dallas. Why don't you go ahead and be one then? Um, and... <laughs> You know, Clark and Dan Hunt issued a, a statement after that um, that was more strongly worded and, and a much better statement. But it's just, I don't know. This stuff doesn't seem that hard to me. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But at any rate, kind of a weird place to end the show tonight. But this one, um, this one was was fun. We got a little feisty tonight, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know, I'll try to lighten it up here at the end. But like, I I do think you know. You gave me a little bit of a crap for being a little sports radio-ish. But I think it's important sometimes to get fired up on that these pods, good. man. Yeah, it's entertaining. Give the people what they want. <laughs> I told you. Um, I no, told you I was fun. in a feisty mood this tonight. Was, this was a fun one, and you told me that Matweedy would be a TAM signing. And you were right. All credit to you, Paul. You're you're the man. You're the best. That's how I like um, to end the show. That's how I like to <laughs> end the anyway. show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for listening this has been allocation disorder i am sam he is paul until next time 